1: Welcome to another edition of the Let's Go Ricky Roll podcast, I'm Beth Duran, joined as always by the man who's named after, right? It's Ricky Romero. Ricky, another podcast this week. How are you? Okay, what hat are you wearing?
2: It's i I'm showing love to a little bar in, from Toronto, Petty Cash. Always, they always take care of me. It's a bar restaurant, pretty cool. Still repping our, uh, our people out there in uh, West Side.
1: Oh, Westside love. <laughs> go Westside love. Okay, i got go throw the hat on. Then okay, we're doing that yeah. because you can use yeah. the code.
2: Send with- So we've, we're we're kind of you know doing oh. a little mix today. Oh, of you- the hat and the and the and the shirt showing love to two uh, different places.
1: Oh, you got a shirt. Okay, I got a hat. It's uh Westside Love Clothing. Go and check them out on Instagram, Westside Love. Uh, they will hook you up if you use the code Ricky Dash Row. Ricky Dash Row, you get 15% off hooking you up. And they have some great colors. And I posted the picture yesterday uh, on the on our new Instagram account, Let's Go Ricky Row. So if you're on Instagram, go and follow Let's Go Ricky Row. And right away, people were like, do they have other colors besides just the Padre Brown? Yeah, they got all the colors. They got some sweet angel gear. got this cool Dodger gear. Go and use the code ricky row for 15% off. All right, Rick, today's guest, you're like, Beto, we got to do another episode. We got to do two in one week. Why? Who did you want to bring on today?
2: Well, good friend of mine, ex-teammate. Uh, I- I'm sure a lot of people have seen the... Uh, we've been putting them on our, our social media. Jose Bautista. Um, you know, I, I felt like if it was one guy that we needed to get, it was him. And, you know, a guy that was on top of the world, uh, in Toronto, not long ago. Um, but more than that, I think, uh, you know, a special person when it came to, uh, you know, the preparation that I got to see behind closed doors in watching video, just preparing on a daily basis. It was, it was pretty cool to watch that, you know, somebody that was so locked in, hitting all those home runs and all that stuff got to share an all-star game with him <clears throat> um all that stuff we shared a lot of special uh moments because when I got there in 09 he had gotten traded in 08 and to the to Toronto and in 09 he was still trying to make a name for himself he was he wasn't even Joey Bats 19 he was Joey Bats 23 I think uh, right. uh, so so uh so yeah so you know I can't wait to to kind of listen to a little bit of his journey and the story of of uh you know his struggle and and his rise and and all that good
1: stuff. Yeah, the today's guest is Jose Bautista, Joey Bats is his nickname, but it's really Jose Bautista from the Dominican Republic. Jose, thanks for joining us on the Ricky Rowe podcast. You hear this guy talking about you. When do you remember meeting Ricky Romero? <laughs>
3: Thanks for having me, guys. And um, you know, it's a pleasure for me to be on your on your platform, and and appreciate the opportunity. And hopefully, it's not the last time. But yeah, uh, to answer your question, 100. Um, I remember meeting Ricky. Uh, he was one of the top prospects in the Blue Jays, and one of the best pitchers um, when when I came over uh, from Pittsburgh. So 100. Uh, it was a it was a interesting time in my career when I got to Toronto but everything worked out after that so
1: and Ricky first time you met Jose Bautista yeah it was
2: it was in um 09 coming into spring training like i said he wasn't a big name yet um i wasn't a big name i was trying to make the team he was still probably on the bubble to make the team because that was a team that had um you know Alex Rios uh Brandon Wells and they were, they were pretty set and Bautista it's had just roll. A year before, got in traded for a guy who caught for me in, in Dunedin, Robinson Diaz. I'll never forget that because he was my catcher early on in my career. And, um, yeah, you just saw I, – I, the first time I saw Jose, like like, batting practice and this and that, I was like, man, this guy has got crazy talent, you know. Maybe one day he'll put it together, and, you know, the rest is going to be history. So, you know, it was just one of those things where – Opportunity, right? I mean, anybody that gets an opportunity to play every day and all that stuff, um, you know, and you take advantage of it, uh, you, you get to show what you can, and and he did, and it was cool, man. Like like I said, it it was cool to see that rise. I mean, we, me as a pitcher, sitting in the dugout watching him hit home runs every night was just pretty incredible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then Jose, you're looking at this kid like, all right, yeah, we know you're a first rounder. I'm in the big leagues. I'm trying to make it here. Do you remember Ricky, the minor leaguer?
3: Um, I mean, I wasn't there before that, but I do remember in that spring training, I had to face him in an inner squad. And even though he might not have been like a a steady uh, rotation guy at the moment for, for the big league team, I knew that it was going to happen soon because after facing him, I was like, wow, this kid's got some explosive stuff. His sinker was outrageous his changeup was filthy and his curveball was nasty you know and you know I couldn't even tell the difference between the curveball and the changeup that's how good both those pitches were with the exception that one you know just kind of came in on me a little bit and the other one just kind of the bottom dropped out of it but they moved Jesus, I don't just even remember crazy. that dude <laughs> <laughs> I don't they remember that just about the same amount of movement vertically so um when you have a tough sinker, and then with late life, that you know makes you drive the ball into the ground, kind of like Zach Britton has uh, today in the big leagues, um, and then you have those other two off speeds to go off of it, you know, that's a, a recipe for success. And then you pair that up with everything else that I found out later on that Ricky had with his work ethic, with the type of person he is, and how quickly he worked on the mound, how many strikes he liked to throw early in accounts. He just kind of always kept the the other team on their heels, and his own team on their toes, and it just worked to his advantage. He was a pitch to contact guy that got a lot of quick outs and had a lot of quick games, and that's kind of like the motto. When I got to Toronto, everything was based off starting pitching and you know throwing early strikes and hit getting guys to hit ground balls and just kind of having a good and fast tempo to the game, keeping the defense engaged. Um, that was kind of like the recipe at the moment for for our team to win and the team was fairly competitive in that division with you know obviously the juggernauts of the red sox and the yankees even though we had subpar offense at the time because of the strong pitching we had and we had roy may May he rest in peace we had um uh burnett it's just a bunch of like good pitchers that just had that all the same um way to go about their business on the mound. Just quick quick pitch, quick games, early strikes, get the balls on the ground and let the defense do the work for you.
2: And I, I wasn't I wasn't really ever like that, Beto. though. I mean, I it's like like Jose said, I think it was a that was the motto there. You work fast and, and and it started with Roy Halliday. Obviously everyone saw how fast he worked. I mean he'd have games in two hours, you know, nine inning complete games. Yeah. So I kinda tried to be that kind of person like, Hey, quick outs are good. You know, everyone likes to strikeouts. Everyone likes to see all that stuff. But where it's at is when you're, when you're, you know, into the ninth inning and you have 110 pitches, you know, I think that's, you know, it's, it's, it, it just, it's obviously stuff that you don't see very much nowadays, but before I feel like quick games and throwing strikes and getting in and out of the dugout was, you know, the thing that you, that everyone enjoyed watching.
3: You know, it's uh think, it's I'll, pretty I'll add ways. a little bit to that. And I think it, you know, it doesn't hurt when you have guys like like Burnett and 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 Roy Holiday being the leaders, you know, the young guys, the most talented young, you know, prospects, when they get up, they're gonna follow in those footsteps. That, that's why it's good for big league teams to have those established veterans that, you know, lead by example and, and go about their business the right way, because then that molds all the young guys into doing the same. Uh, and you know it kind of keeps the the philosophy going um on both depending if, it, if we're talking about hitters or pitchers
1: yeah and it's uh, pretty cool the way you guys are going back and forth right there boom straight back to those memories what's going on and I'll tell you Jose before we start the podcast this is more about like you know your journey and how you got there because you are you know you're an inspiration to a lot of people a lot of kids that come through because you didn't have it easy the your journey to the major leagues like yesterday we had Mike Soroka who all star at the age of twenty one, pitcher, just six five and just doing it. You took a and different said, path.
2: And he said, and he said that he's like, yeah, I look around in AAA and uh, Jose Bautista my third baseman. Go figure. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty yeah, funny. I yeah? mean,
3: everybody's path gets defined at some point, but it's a sum of opportunity and, and the hard work yeah. and the dedication and the resilience and the, you know, opportunities you make for yourself. And then just going out there and trusting your work to kind of, you know, show itself when when you're just out there playing the game, which is truly what we should always do is enjoy the game and play it uh, because we love it. And, you know, you get your work on in practice, behind the scenes, you know, uh, whether it's batting practice in the cage, in the video room, in the weight room, in the training room, injury prevention, you know, whatever you're going to do, you kind of put your head down and grind through that. But when the game starts, you can't be in your head thinking like you are in practice mode. You know, you got to just go out there and let it kind of
2: let it show out. Yeah. And um, Beto, and honestly, I said it early on, like, um, Jose was a student of the game. And I witnessed this firsthand behind closed doors when we were, I remember being in the computer room with him and we'd sit there and he'd go over every single pitcher that Whoever we were facing, he'd just be sitting there watching different clips, how he was pitching different hitters the past couple of weeks, the past few games, whatever it was. And they, and honestly, one of the smartest hitters I've ever played with, him and Edwin Encarnacion, because they just dissected the game so well. They can get beat one at bat, but they knew the next at bat, all right, he's not going to beat me with that pitch, or he's going to throw me the pitch that I've been looking for, and I'm going to hit it out, and I'm not going to miss. And I thought that was special. I always tell stories like – because. The first thing, you know, kids tell me all the time or ask me is what about Jose? How was it playing with Jose Bautista? I was like, Well, it wasn't just the success that you saw in that batter's box. It was what I saw was him learning and and, and trying to learn how to how to how he was gonna attack the hitter or uh, the pitcher that day. And I thought that was like really cool. Just I would sit there, I I would always sit right next to him and Edwin in at the end of the dugout in Toronto, you know, Jose and and we'd sit there and and he'd even come in and he'd be like man you 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 fucking pitchers sometimes are are dumb are dumb you know because you guys like literally like tee up exactly what we're thinking you guys are overthinking it and then you guys make the mistake and we make you guys pay don't overthink when you're out there just you know if you get a guy out stick to that you know sometimes we're looking for a certain pitch and 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 if you don't throw it We'll stay all game trying to look for that curveball or whatever, whatever, whatever. And Edwin was the same way. And they, you know, they just fed off each other really, 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 really cool. And it was fun to watch. Like I said, I had like a like a front row seat, and I'd sit there and I just would try to just. It would. It was always in my head, you know. If I get a guy out, why would you sit next to him?
1: Why would you sit next to them?
2: Well, because I mean, they're the hitters. I mean, they're they're telling you what. What they're looking for you know and, and in certain situations what certain things that they need to do or like hey we're looking to do this and Jose was very approachable when it came to that you know and you know a lot of people always see the you know him getting mad at the umpires or you know throwing his shit but it was just it's the competitive in him I was throwing my shit sometimes too when when stuff didn't go my way you know and it's just I you know there was a tunnel in there where a lot of stuff happened <laughs> and and um and, yeah, I mean, but, you know, I, I feel like, like I said, he was a – the way he studied the game, it wasn't just success because he just woke up one day and it was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to wake up and hit home runs. I think it was just, one, it was opportunity, and two, it was just like, all right, I'm here, and now this is what I need to do to keep getting better and better and better every game.
3: And that's that's part of the game, you know, behind the game for, you know, teammates. Um, and don't let Ricky fool you. You know, every team has their little clicks and you know, all how all Latinos kind of look after each other, you know. We we had the click inside the clique, and you know, it's uh, Ricky was part of the small group that was there constantly. Not that we ousted anybody, but you know, yeah. th- there's always those little groups of three or four that kind of hover around the clubhouse and the dugout together because you know, he knows how to make me better. I know how to make him better. When I'm going down a rabbit hole, he can pull me out of it. And I can do the same thing when I'm too upset or too pissed off and it's distracting me. He can, you know, make crack a joke and get me back on track and back to focus on the most important play, which is the next play, not the one that just happened. You know, and, you know, that happens on every team. And Ricky was part of that small group. And that being said, we always fed off, you know, stuff of each other. Uh, and it was me, Ricky, Edwin, and, and a few others. And that's kind of how you evolve and create these um, these bonds with teammates um, to the point where you know exactly what each other's thinking. And I could be in right field and knowing how the game has developed and a big situation come up, come up and there's men in scoring position and Ricky uh, is facing a tough right-hander and he gets an early strike. He gets to fall, want to fall off. And I know exactly what the next pitch is going to be because I'm, I'm playing that game alongside him. You know, I'm expecting mm. what he's going to throw because depending on who's hitting, you know, the possibilities of the ball getting hit to me are, you know, high or whatever, you know, and I know where I'm throwing the ball before I catch it. That's just part of the game. And you try to connect with the starting pitcher in his own mind. That way you, you know, you don't miss a click and your, your anticipation
1: is where it needs to be before, you know, stuff happens. You you mentioned that, uh, that click, that bond, and you, you said it with the Latinos. It's a, It's a different one because you're right in the clubhouse. You have twenty five guys on the roster, but then you're going to have a click here. But how do the Dominican, the Mexicans get along? I mean, that, 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 a, a Miami guy and LA guy.
3: Hey, listen, we we all get along great. Even the Dominicans with the with the Americans and and you know everybody, the Asians. But it's just a we different had a depth. We had a good culture. The different depth of the of the bond because of the cultural similarities and you know you identify with a struggle a little more because it's more similar. You know, we know what, you know, we're more accustomed to the struggles of our families and our upbringings because it's more similar than growing up in the States. And, you know, that not that that doesn't make you not like anybody. It's just, yeah. you know, it's a deeper, deeper bond.
1: Yeah. And that's something that uh, for you, Jose, you had a different upbringing. You grew up in the Dominican Republic, you went to private school, you were smart, straight A student, loved the math you had a chance to sign with the Yankees for five grand, like, no, 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 I know what I'm worth. You know, the Diamondbacks gave you something, you're like, no, 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 I know what I'm worth. The Reds had. Well, I knew a big my, offer. I knew what my
3: education was
1: worth, which was more exactly. than what I was to be You're right. Tienes la cabeza, tienes la mente, ya sabes, right? So your, your parents are smart, and you knew what you were worth, your value. The Reds had something for you, and then Shot sells the team, and then that offer is gone, six-figure deal. You got left with nothing. Is it true that you went and put together a highlight video of you with a camcorder and you just try to find somewhere in the United States to go to college? Well, I had done that before.
3: So, but I never really got a lot of, you know, traction with it. I I shipped VHS, you know, this is how back in the day you, you had to do it. I shipped some VHS recorded, you know, game footage and practice footage of myself to, you know, some of the top colleges that I felt like I wanted to go to and, you know, never any response, but after, you know, some time and going through some showcases and getting the offer from the Reds, you know, I, I, one of my former Little League coaches son had gotten a scholarship facilitated through a foundation. And because I had my education in place and because my English was good and I had been somewhat of pre-approved to go to college because, you know, my grades were great and i had taken the test of english as a second language what they call the toefl test because if you're an international student to get admitted to college you need to get check all those boxes right i had everything checked it's just a matter of finding a school that had the need for a, a student athlete in the baseball team like myself and that gentleman that used to um, be my little league coach um facilitated that that same path for for me to get a, a scholarship offered through that foundation and ended up going to junior college in Florida, but I had all those boxes checked, and within two weeks I had to pack up my stuff and go because the offer from the Reds, kind of. We, when that happened, it was a verbal offer, and you know you kind of. When the the process of selling the team was going through, they kind of keep you in limbo. They don't they don't tell you okay the offer for, for, you can't you can't commit to the offer. But they also don't tell you that you can sign the deal, so you gotta wait and wait and wait. You know, time expired. It it was three months later, and I had to make a decision: do I continue to wait and roll the dice, or do I go to college? And I had to pull the trigger on what was more attainable and, and more, um, you know, just there for me to take at what, the moment. Jose, do, what was there any? What was your dream school to go to? I really want to go to University of Florida.
2: But you oh, know, unfortunately,
3: did. wow. Yeah. I mean, wow. I was watching the NCAA tournaments on on ESPN. Um, mm-hmm. You know, back when when every single person in the lineup was hitting 380 with 37 home <laughs> runs, <laughs> and it was unbelievable for me to to watch those guys in, on ESPN. Just like the big leaguers, you know, that's where I wanted to go. One of those schools, and mm-hmm. Florida was close to Dominican, so I wanted to stay within Florida. So I sent my videos to Miami, uh, Florida and then uh FSU and no response from anybody. But
2: ended up Cal State Fullerton, dude, we would have taken you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a chance to go to a junior college in uh but it was up up north by San Francisco called Canyada College. But um, you know, I had I had to stay closer to home. So
2: yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. And and what people don't know too, Beto, and he talks about education and how important it was to him. This guy was taking classes while he was in the big leagues to try and get his degree. He ended up getting his You you got your degree too, right? No, you're done. So, so after Juco
3: obviously I signed, but I had my AA degree. Um but I had promised my mom that at some point I was going to finish my college education and after getting the big deal and while we were in Toronto, um yeah, I was I was attending some classes in the in the spring. And in the fall and in the summers, you know, I was trying to do some stuff online. So it was, it was kind of strange getting, you know, picked on by my own teammates because I'm doing schoolwork <laughs> while in the big leagues and facing, you know, I
2: was one of them. I Major like, you know, League, what, baseball what, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing?
3: <laughs> hey, this is something that I had set as a goal for myself and I wasn't taking no for an answer. So I put my head down and, Stuck my nose to the books and and I got it done. I got my. I mean, my I, I would
2: I would say I have kind of the same problem or I have a problem because I I promised my mom too that I was going to graduate college. Obviously, I haven't gone back, but I always say like I plan plan on to plan to plan to and I just just never never pull the trigger on it. But Wait. it would be obviously the smart thing to do. Jose, you were in the clubhouse with you're doing your homework with books, yeah, uh, on the plane and stuff.
3: You know, I I, I just. I worked on it after I got home at night. You know, with the adrenaline pumping, you can't go to sleep right away after a major league game. So you get home around eleven and you don't wind down till like two or three in the morning sometimes. And you know, that's when a lot of guys unfortunately get into some bad habits or, you know, just play video games and do stuff like that. You know, I chose to to read and get my schoolwork done at that time and it actually was worked out perfect. Well, you gotta say, what kind of degree did you get? i got a business degree with a minor in entrepreneurship and um you know it was it was all that i wanted to do for a long time um and i might even go back and get my master's in finance soon
2: dude this guy is he's the man when it comes to like business and and making smart business deals i know we used to give him shit all the time because you know it was like you know he was boom 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 like just no, no, this is and not worth it. A- Boom. This is worth it. Boom. This is worth it. Not worth it. Don't do this. Don't do that. And like if I had a business question, I was going to Jose all the time.
0: <laughs>
2: really? Well, I, I don't, yeah. I don't, you know, I think
3: my my way of going about it was let me surround myself with good advisors, choose a good team, listen to them, and then try to use my common sense and the knowledge. You know, part of the process of being part of my team was always teach me. You gotta teach me. I'm not just gonna pay an advisor or somebody to just tell me what to do and and I'm not going to learn along the way you got to teach me if you want to be a part of my team um so I was fortunate to to be able to find people that were willing to help me and advise me and you know I just learned pay attention and try to pick up as much as I could and the best deals are the ones you don't make so um I haven't I haven't gone too crazy, you know. I don't want to be everything for everyone, and I can't do everything at once. So I took my time, and what when it felt like it was a slam dunk, I, I took my chance.
2: That's cool, Jose, Respect so to for you. you for you, like obviously this, you know, growing up in the Dominican and 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 all that stuff. That you know, you were there going to a junior college and leaving home. How tough was that for you and that transition of going? you know, you know, this culture and we know how this Latino culture works. You know, very, we're very, very, very family oriented. Now you're having to go away from your family and it's not far, but it's still pretty far. You still have to get on a flight to go into Florida. How tough was that transition for you to, to adjust to, to living in the States, going to junior college, and now you're surrounded by, you know, a multicultural, you know, people, you see people. From every ethnicity probably.
3: Well, um, I think making the decision and and pulling the trigger was the hardest part because it's not customary, as you know. You know, we stay at home until we, you know, find a good job and find a, a wife to start our own families. That's usually how it goes in, in the Latin American, you know, culture. But knowing what I wanted to do, it was the only way. So I wasn't gonna sit there and dwell on it. I, you know, when I have to, again, I don't mean to sound repetitive, but when I have to put my, my head to the ground and just grind through stuff, um, I do it. I, I make the necessary sacrifices and um, that was the only way to to try to accomplish my goals. So I, I had that perspective and that made it easier to swallow and um, I was able to deal with things better that way. But I had a great support group from that foundation that I mentioned earlier. And there was a few other Latinos at the junior college that helped me with the transition, but it was tough, you know, being away from my family for the first time. um, It wasn't, it wasn't easy. And those, those were back in the days of the AOL messengers and the phone cards and keeping in touch. Wasn't the same thing as it is today. Like this, what we're doing, this didn't exist
2: back then. So. I think people um, forget that, Beto, you know, a lot of, we get a lot of young listeners here. Like, yeah, we, we, you know, phone cards and, you know AOL and bad internet service you're lucky if you got a little bit up. of a connection yeah. all that stuff I mean was just <laughs> and then MSN
3: messenger came out and then we could do something similar to this but not you know not yeah. nearly as, as good as this yeah there's, there's still yeah, some up that that Dominican was growing up in the Dominican was great I had a great you know upbringing and a great childhood I was able to enjoy a bunch of stuff both my mom and dad are Um, college graduates and they had great jobs. They were both professionals and and they allowed me and my brother to, to have a, um, a pretty similar um, childhood and upbringing, like, you know, a middle-class kid in the United States. So um, I was fortunate enough to be uh, in that position, um, which then allowed me to focus on studies and education. And um, as long as I got that taken care of, I was able to play any sport that I wanted for as long as I wanted. And, Baseball is the bucket that I poured all my, my effort and in, into, and it, it paid off.
1: You know, and, Jose, you said it paid off. You go to junior college, you're the junior college player of the year, your sophomore year, after you hurt yourself your freshman year. You go and you sign. But the path to the big leagues wasn't an easy one. And in 2004, you know, you get to the opening day roster, but you're on five different teams that year. The first player ever to be on five rosters that year Open up with the Orioles, then Blue uh, Devil Rays claim you. That's back when they were the Devil Rays. Then the Royals purchase you. Then the Mets. Then the Pirates. You never suited up for the Mets, but then you're there. Like, how mentally was that tough for you? Because you're like, okay, I'm getting to the big leagues, but I can't make a name for myself. I can't do this after having had so much success in college and wherever you're at and how you're getting there. Like, mentally, how hard was that for you that year? Well, let me back up a little bit and, and give you the kind of like the
3: prelude to, to that year, which was the year before. Uh in two thousand and three, I was in Lynchburg, which is in high class A, uh in Virginia. And I was up to a rocky start, you know, it's only like the first month, month and a half, hitting about two fifty. You know, at that time I had um I was pretty hard on myself when it came to expectations and and, and fulfilling those. So I was pretty frustrated, I ended up hurting myself. Um doing something stupid, you know, out of anger one day, not doing good. I kind of put my fist to a trash can and the trash can won. <gasps> on. Um, so I, I missed i missed probably like 100 games that year. I missed three months. Um, I ended up coming back at the end of the season, finishing up the season. Um, but back then there was a rule that after three years or three seasons, if you played in college – The team had to put you on the 40-man roster or expose you to the Rule 5 draft. Because I got hurt and because I didn't tear it up uh, when I did play, the team didn't expect anybody to claim me on the Rule 5 draft. Um, But I ended up getting claimed in the Rule 5 draft. I had played winter ball uh, that year and did pretty good. So I guess that opened up the the Orioles' eyes, which is a team that drafted me in the Rule 5 draft And that's the reason why I jumped from high Class A to the Big Leagues in 2004. Oh. So, so a lot wow. of people say, I, I didn't you know, know. I didn't know you
2: went High man, A to the Big Leagues.
3: Man, that was tough, you know, being in, in the Big Leagues and traveling from team to team. I'm like, I'd rather be doing this than being on a bus <laughs> on a 13-hour, you know, overnight bus ride from, you know, I don't know, Altoona to freaking Vermont. I'd rather be in the big leagues, even if I'm handing out water cups. But so you, know, did did the, you I mean, and you came
2: like, up. It, it it's funny you say that, Jose, handing out water cups because you came up in an era where you know veterans had a lot of say and they they were they would you know they can you know in a playful a way you hazy, know test test you. More,
3: yeah, there was a little bit more hazing, but nothing that was too bad. I don't think.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it was yeah.
3: A fraternity like kind of atmosphere when you got to the big leagues the veterans you know were running the show um and you had to put in your time and you had to to earn earn their respect in in a way so so,
2: so the, when happened. when you get drafted by or yeah taken in the rule 5 by baltimore you obviously have to make the team what was that like when they when they call you in and say hey you're making the team or did you kind of sense it did you kill it that spring i mean i'm just trying to because like I said, not a lot of people know this, like Dude, I, was, this I, was I was I was pumped.
3: I showed up ready to <laughs> tear somebody's head off, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I had played winter ball, I had worked on the gym. I'm like, heck yeah, I got a chance to make a big league team. You know, and there was Miguel Tejada on the team, Rafael Palmero, David Segui, Javi Lopez, you know, a bunch of Latino superstars. I'm like, they're all gonna help me be better and hopefully put in a good word. All I gotta do is show up, show that I'm a hard worker. You know, let my talent show and, and try to perform. And I ended up having a great spring. And the last day of the spring, <clears throat> we had an exhibition game in um, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And the manager was Lee Mazzilli, who's a, a coach, a ah. longtime coach for the Yankees. He was the manager of, of the Orioles at the time. He pulled me in the office. He's like, kid, you made the team. Couldn't be more happier. We don't really have a everyday role for you at this moment, but. You're going to be a a utility guy, and you never know. Baseball is a game that takes a lot of twists and turns. People get hurt. People get traded. People Mm -hmm. get called up and down. So just be ready to go, and we'll see what happens. It ended up not working out because after, like, a month and a half, the the Devil Rays traded for me. So, But uh, it didn't work out in Baltimore, but it ended up working out somewhere else. And to kind of expand on 2004, you know, after – Get into Tampa, they were not having a great season at the moment. But when I get there, they go on a tear. And they had a player coming off of uh, the injured list. And by the time that they came back ready, you know, I was the, the weak link in that roster. And that's where I ended up going to Kansas City. A similar situation happened in Kansas City. And oddly enough, I get traded to the Mets who trade me to the Pirates who were my original team to begin with. (laughs) So just because they didn't put me on the roster on the previous fall, they they had to trade back for me. But even though that's weird, that told me a lot about how, how much they believed in me and my talent. And, you know, I was back to my original organization and it was, you know, time to get back to work the following year. They,
2: they told me, hey listen. There, though mentally, Jose, as you, I, you say, like you know, this is better than than riding the bus for t- thirteen hours. But mentally, it had to have taken a toll on you a little bit, saying like, like what, what's what's going on? Like what? I was. Hey, listen. I, I'm. I've always been one to not
3: hold back and ask questions. Not that I do it in a way that comes off, you know, weird or or aggressive or that I'm, you know, being confrontational, but. I always, into the advice of some of those veterans that I had around me at the time, hey, what what ended up not happening? What can I do better for next time? You know, I always was trying to get feedback. So because of that, my my head wasn't spinning too much because I didn't leave there in mental limbo. I knew exactly the reasons and why and what I could be doing better and what I was doing right. So I just kind of kept that in in my mental journal as my plan of attack. You know, this is how I'm gonna attack every single day. Things that I'm doing right, I'm gonna continue to do. Things I'm not doing right, I'm gonna get better. And but I understood the the business aspect of the each transaction that, that I was a part of. And that's why mm. I didn't let it affect me negatively too much.
1: That's tough. I mean, I've read that about you, Jose. I mean, this is the first time you and I are talking. I've read you over the year, about you over the years, and Ricky's told me many stories about you. And I, I love your attitude about you know believing in yourself and the perseverance? Because you said you studied a lot of tape. You know what's going on. A lot of people would have said, you know what? They don't want me. You're thinking, okay, cool. I'm taking this attitude of going somewhere else where a lot of other people who might have been not as mentally strong li- might let that get to them. Your journey to the major leagues, and as Ricky said at the start of the podcast, you weren't Joey Bats yet. What changed for you in your major league career where it's it finally all clicked? Because everybody has a different path. What, when did it happen for you? I don't think there's necessarily a necessary
3: moment where you change, but it's just things come together. But things can come mm. together, and people call it luck. When you put in the hard work, dedication, you don't give up, you know, things align for you at some point. And I think that's what ended up happening for me in Toronto, where I had a manager that believed them. They put me in a great position to succeed, you know, he was taking care of me in the lineup, putting me, you know, in a good spot to, so I could perform, took off, you know, some of those worries that I had early in my career of, you know, am I going to play today? Do I need to get two hits to be in the lineup the next day? Um, you know, that kind of stuff was not even a question anymore. Um, and then just kind of work with my swing, help me with my timing, put things in perspective. So what I, I could understand, you know, if I could, give you if somebody were to give me a dollar for every time i heard somebody say get your foot down early before i met cito gaston you know i'd I'd have you know maybe seven more figures in my bank account (laughs) but none none of those times that made any sense to me so every time somebody told me that i was like i don't know what they're talking about get your foot down early like that doesn't make any sense how is that going to help me hit when the bat's in my hands like that just makes no sense to me. Um, so Cito put it in different ways. Like you need to get your load and you need to get ready earlier throughout the pitchers delivery. That way your foot's down early in that process and you're not rushed into swinging at a pitch and you're not late because that was my biggest issue. You know, I was getting beat with balls inside one, partly because I was trying to go the other way. Cause that's, the instruction that I was receiving for most of my career after I got to the big leagues. And, you know, in the minors, they kind of let you play, and you're hitting doubles and homers left and right. And all of a sudden, you, you get to the big leagues, or at least back back in the day, and you had to fill a role within that team. And for me, that role in Pittsburgh was <clears throat> put the ball in play, not strike out too much, hit the ball the other way. You know, it's just completely different than what I was used to doing in the minor leagues. So it's kind of like you're going up to the biggest level of performance in your sport. And you gotta do something you've never done before. You know, that made it a little hard for me. And, and in Toronto see, it
2: was and more I saw, like, like I said, I see.
3: oh go ahead. No, in Toronto it was more like just go out and play. But yeah. you know, we're gonna we're gonna try to make your BP swing and what you're doing in practice translate to the game. And the way we're gonna do it is by getting ready and getting started earlier. Forget about this foot down stuff, because it just doesn't make sense to you. Let's just get the load out of the way earlier. And just let your swing happen.
2: And then it was in Joey Utility 23. It was Joey Bats 19, kind of <laughs> came to uh to be born. And like I said, I had I had a front row seat to that. And it was fun watching him, you know, the, the stadium would go nuts. You know, he had this intro, uh, you know, by Usher, ironically, Bethel. <laughs> Usher big league me at a fight. We we, we bigly me at a big fight in Vegas, dude. Yeah. I went up to him and I asked him if I could take a picture with him and he fucking like just like kinda like didn't act like he didn't even know me. Like or just like he didn't even hear it and walked away and I, and so these guys were in a group message and he, they always give me shit about Usher. So
1: <laughs> I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything, but damn it, Ricky, you told as soon as after it happened, because we're at this Canelo fight, after it happened, Jose, he's like I I, walk, I wasn't there. They all walk up. They're like, damn, Usher, Biggie, Ricky. And they were in the VIP, VIP room, like the private room, only a couple of people. And I'm like, no, nah, there's no way that happened. To this day, if you bring up Usher, even the fans know on the podcast, they'll send pictures to Ricky of <laughs> Usher. <laughs> Man, I'm,
3: I'm sorry to bring back those bad memories.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, I I, I got to see him, see him, like, you know, even in... in, in uh, In 2011, opening day, we always talk about that day, JP and I, and, like, just when he was receiving his Silver Slugger Award, like, that place was going fucking crazy, dude. It was just, like, it was so cool just to see how much they embraced this guy. And, you know, you you can attest to it a little bit, too. It happened with Edwin, too, right? I mean, he came to us. He wasn't really anybody. And then, you know, you guys started feeding off each other, and it's like, boom, Edwin Encarnacion grew, you know? And it was like that that three, four hole, I'd always would say if if you guys were, if I was ever facing you guys, I mean, I I think I would just go like, go to first base, you know? And and it was just, you know, because <laughs> you guys were so locked in during those years. And for a while, I mean, it was the best tandem, I feel like and just, you know, in the dugout, in the study room, and then you guys go, would go out and do it. It was, to me, it was like, it was so cool to be a part of it. and. Um, and I kind of want to, uh, touch on the, on, uh, you know, on the all-star game. You know, I always thought you should have won a, a, the home run derby. And I, uh, we had drop on our, uh, on an episode and I, and I blame him, dude. <laughs> right there. <laughs> there it is. There's a picture of us in the clubhouse. Obviously the quality of the iPhone wasn't very good yet. So, um, but I always uh, we had drop a, um, on an episode, and we give, we I gave him shit. I was like, dude, you shit the bed. You literally shit the bed that day. And he's like, bro, I know, I did, I really did. Did he share the whole story with you? Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. did he did he get? The yeah, whole, he did. I don't, I don't remember it, about uh, him he was uh, warming up
1: in the tunnel. He was scared. Uh, drop, who was a previous guest on the yeah. podcast, the bullpen catcher you he took was, with him.
2: He
3: was definitely you know, nervous. So we we're, were talking through it. And I mean, he didn't tell me this, but I this is what I think about a home run derby. I think there's more pressure on the guy throwing than the guy hitting. I truly believe, I truly believe that. It's not easy to, you know, throw balls right down the middle when the whole crowd is looking at you and you got cameras in your face. That's gotta be difficult. So he was trying to cope with that, you know, those nerves a little bit. And I think he had, one too many coffees, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and uh, he, was, he was just too pumped up. He was too excited and too, like, amped up, and he couldn't calm down. So that ended up working against him a little bit. But we had a, we had a fun few rounds, and um, it was exciting. And I, I was in it for the fun, for being a part of it. And you always want to win, not that you're not trying to win, but it's not that I was, you know. Going to in my corner and cry if I didn't win the home derby. Yeah,
2: that private
1: jet to the All Star game.
2: Yeah, it was. That was. uh, I. I've only shared. uh, uh, I've only been on two private jets, and both of them have been shared with uh, with Jose. One was in spring training, and one was for the All Star game. There it is. There's the boy. (laughs) I'm sure you remember this night, Jose.
3: Oh, don't don't make me. I think. Um, I think
2: exactly, <laughs> I remember I,
3: exactly what happened that night. I don't want
2: to relive it. <laughs> <laughs> it's when the Heat were on top and obviously me, Casey and Edwin, huge, huge Laker fans. Um, you know, we went to go watch them and I, I, feel, I feel like it was our only opportunity to be able to watch the Heat and the Lakers before the season started. So we kind of went down there and, and kind of had fun with it but you know and then the second time I got to share it with him I was obviously on uh going on our way to the all-star game and it was funny funny story behind that I got told I made the all-star game that day on the Sunday game in Cleveland and they, I was getting ready like they were getting my flight stuff ready and Jose's like no 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 you're coming with me you you don't don't go uh commercial like I, I I got you and you know which was nice of him he didn't have to do that you know but Obviously, me being my first time, I was – and he he was part of a few All-Star games. The first time you go, you're kind of lost because there's so much shit yeah. going on. Like, yeah, It's crazy. It's, like, crazy. I was so overwhelmed. Like, just the autograph room itself, I was like, no way. Like, we have to sign all this? And they're like, oh, yeah. So it's just, like, they have this room. They have all these jerseys, all these balls, all these bats, all these hats. It's crazy the stuff that you have to sign. But, you know, obviously it's all – and good fun because you're there and, um, you know, it's an experience that you'll never forget. And for me, it was my only one. It's obviously a moment that I cherish forever. And, you know, the good thing is I had this guy right by my side, uh, kind of guiding me on. And, um, so, you know, it was a special person to share with obviously. And, uh, so, yeah, I had a similar experience the
3: year before, and that, uh, that was my first time in, uh, in Anaheim and Vernon took care
2: of me. So that was, I uh, was just, Paying it forward. It was you, Vernon, and John Buck, right that year. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. so Jose, we we obviously fast forward, and you know, I end up getting released by the Jays, and obviously, you know, you saw a little bit of the downfall and the injuries and all that stuff. How it mentally took a toll on me. And then you guys freaking take off, man. You know, playoffs. You guys start, you know all that good stuff in Toronto and everyone talks about how electric it was and how crazy it was. And, you know, I think one of the things that always like, uh, I always say I was happy, you know, for you guys, but at the same time, it it crushed me on the inside just because watching it on TV at home and, you know, surgically repaired knees, it was not fun, but, you know, take us a little bit, you know, I think a lot of our listeners wanted to hear about, you know, the, the fucking shot heard around the world, you know, what, uh, you know that game and obviously you know the bat flip game and you know and i mean i remember watching it on tv and i was like holy smokes this guy just you know you could see the camera shaking on tv which is crazy and guys you know you know we had kevin pilar on he's like dude you you know these guys all have said like it felt like there was an earthquake in the stadium Did it, were you able to feel like what was going through your head as you're you hit that ball, and obviously you're not thinking backflip. You're just like it's all reaction and all that stuff. But like, what's like was your heart heart like pounding? Were you like, holy smokes, I just hit one of the biggest home runs in Jay's history?
3: No, I mean I don't think you have time for all that stuff to go through your head. You kind of come back down after the euphoria of the whole thing at some point. And for me, it was when I got home that night. You know.
2: Yeah, it was yeah. Everything,
3: it was insane. everything everything seems to be a blur, um, after the the moment that I hit that ball up until I got home that night. Um, that series was crazy. Yeah. You know, we lost the first two games at home. To Texas, obviously, um, and you know they were they were having fun. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. We get to their place, and we take two. You know, we tied it up. The first game, it was kind of back and forth. Um, and then we kind of peeled off on the second game, so it was an easier win. Um, so we, we're coming back home, Serious tight 2-2, winner moves on. You know, it was, it was pressure building up. And in the playoffs, you have days off that you can't control because they work up the TV schedule and they make sure that, you know, everything – works so the most fans can watch every single game um so we don't have control of when you're playing or what time the game is so we play at home i think it was a day game afternoon maybe three o'clock or something um it's it was it was it was nerve-wracking going into the game so and then you know what happened um in the in the game you know how we ended up fallen behind because Russ threw the ball back to the pitcher and it hit the bat and they scored. And it was just like, no way. We're not going to go down this way, you know? And then, the, you know, kind of the tide turns. They made three errors, which is unheard of, back-to-back-to-back. To back
2: to back. By a guy who's, like, reliable as hell. They're playing the infield in um,
3: or halfway something. I don't know. Instead of just playing regular double de- double play depth. They're playing the infield in on Donaldson. And he gets absolutely fisted. And dunks a ball right behind the second baseman. That if they're playing any other kind of defensive alignment, it's probably just an infield pop-up. And we're like, okay, something something's good's gonna happen um, to favor us. You just sense the momentum shift to our team. And it was like, okay, we got you. Back against the wall. And we had you know, two runners on base and I'm at the plate and Edwin's on deck. It was almost like, okay, where are you going to go now?
2: Well, and before before you get there, Jose, though, with the studying you had done, you know what? Di- did you know what Dyson wanted to do to you? I had faced him three times
3: earlier that year and I hit, okay. I struck out once and hit two ground balls to shortstop. Everything okay. was stinkers in and he threw me one changeup in three at bats. So out of okay. maybe, I don't know, 15 pitches. I saw one off-speed pitch, and you could see his tendencies when you study the video and look at the percentages. He threw like 92% fastballs. He had a sinker at 96 that most people couldn't touch. So why go away from it? You know, he's kind of like the right handed Zach Britton at the time. Um, so I mean, he was attacking me the same way, and I knew you just got to get let the ball stay up, or you know, hope that it does, and or make it start higher out of his hand. You know the first two I you know saw pretty good balls then I fouled one off and then it was just like everything clicked you just I saw it up out of his hand I was like man this is a good one just keep my hands nice and tight inside and just put the barrel to it it was it was unbelievable but none of that that you're seeing right now I don't remember any of it you know <laughs> no. It no a blur a complete
2: blur um, and, and I didn't, and he's, to, to he's one of the name. few guys, Beto, right now that he said that, that I ever heard say, I can pick up the spin out of the hand, or I can yeah. see what he's is coming out of his hand. Not a lot of guys can do that. And I thought that, well, was, that it, to me is like, I, beyond. I, you can't do it on every guy, but a guy that's
3: so like, or was one dimensional at that moment, you know, he was throwing nine out of 10 fastballs. At that point, it's not looking at spin. It's just, release point and you just try to pick up, you know, a higher one than a lower one. You know, and and I saw three low ones back to back and when the next one started way higher, you know, it's kind of like you can expect it to be a better pitch to hit. So, you know, and but one thing that I want to make sure that I don't let this conversation go by without mentioning is, you know, the fan base in Toronto. You know, for the, the year and a half prior to those playoffs, the two years prior to those playoffs, you could see how the fan base was getting more and more engaged and how they were getting more and more excited and the crowds kept getting bigger and you would go out on the street and you see people wearing blue everywhere and you'd go out anywhere to get a coffee, to a restaurant, you know, grocery shopping, which I had to stop after a while. Um, going to those, you know, places where, you know, it was just time time-consuming. You saw blue, you know. you saw blue nineteen Starbucks. jerseys,
2: blue nineteen tri- jerseys. That's what you saw.
3: I, I, I trip to Starbucks. That should have taken ten minutes. It's taking thirty minutes because pictures and autographs. Which I I love and appreciate the love from the fans. But you know it. You you got to go to work every day, so you try to maximize yeah, it, your time
1: and your family. The cafecito but, gets cold, bro. The cafecito gets cold. You can't have that. That's right. So you know
3: the fan base was just getting so engaged, and it was. It was amazing to see because when I got there in 08, even though there were some good players, you know, the crowds were 15, 20,000. And by the time we got to these playoffs, we we averaged 42,000 that year, I think.
2: Wow.
3: And to see that turnout every single day and the energy and how much you felt like the fans were pulling for you, it was almost like an outer body experience. You're like, what's going on? What's what's happening? And you don't know how much that energy feeds into you until you experience that and you play through something like that. And you know those little pains and aches and my hamstring's a little sore. and Like those things that creep into your mind in the fifth or sixth inning if you're losing by four runs on any given Tuesday night, that doesn't exist. When the bus is like such at the stadium, it's like we're going to come back and get these guys. I don't care yeah. if we're losing. I don't care who's on the mound. I don't care that my, you know, my my hamstring's tight and my my arm hurts. We're going to figure it out. And your mind goes there and your energy gets kind of channeled in that direction. And
2: and you uh,
3: you end up, so you know, coming you, back
2: and winning a lot of those games. You talk a little bit about, you know, obviously after the fact, you know, the big home run and everything, you're driving home. Are you just sitting there like, just with the huge smile on your face? Or are you just like, what just happened? What, I mean, like I said, it's, to this day, it's probably one of the, that one, and obviously the following year, uh, the wild card game where Edwin hit that home run too, like two of the biggest home runs in recent history in the playoffs, like that drive must've been like, holy smokes, like I'm just walking on cloud nine right now. Well, I
3: didn't drive. At that time we had David Price on the team who got traded in the deadline. And he ended up buying everybody a scooter, one of those electric scooters. <laughs> so I rode that home that day, not knowing what was going to happen. And oh, I, really? had to, <laughs> I had to go home, you know, in it. One, because that's how I got there in the first place. And two, if I would have drove, I would have been stuck in traffic for two hours. You know how sometimes True. it got in, in Toronto, after yep. a crowded game in downtown. Yep. And I didn't live that far from the stadium, so it was way easier to get. But I was like zipping through mobs of people on the sidewalk and on the streets in my scooter. Um, and nobody could. That was you. Canada Goose hoodie on, my my Beats headphones on, just hat on, just just cruising <laughs> through. You know. So I didn't have time to to reflect on anything until I got home. I wasn't wow. I wasn't really enjoying that ride. I was just no, man of the no, mission. No, like I gotta nobody, get home.
2: <laughs> nobody suspected you didn't hear anybody like kind of like give it a second look or say like who like is that him? Like
3: I might have, we, but I don't
2: remember. But I took a picture.
3: I took a pic I know somebody took a picture of me on social media and tagged me on it. So I used that as a post on my Instagram. And it was it was pretty
1: funny. That, that is such a Canadian thing. Ricky's telling me a lot of things about Canada, but you hit one of the biggest home runs in team history. It was trending on Twitter all over the world. It's going to be used as memes and just, you don't remember it because you were just in the zone, numb, and you're on a freaking razor, a little, a little uh, going back and forth, headphones, and just going, like, looking like a yeah, guy's delivering a pizza right now. Like, what? That, that is just a different cool, thing.
2: I mean, you got to kind of see, like, <laughs> look, look what I just did. Like, oh, I just made this place go crazy. The city's going crazy, and I'm here riding a scooter. Just like no big deal. You know, <laughs> I got to come back tomorrow, and we're still in the playoffs
3: and that's that's one of the moments in my career where things get put in perspective, and you really see how what you do every day as an athlete can affect or influence in a positive way people everyday's you know people's lives. and <clears throat> since that day I've heard stories, I remember where I was. I was in a, in a condo party. I was at a patio drinking. I was here. I was there, but everybody seemed to have been connected by that moment. And yeah. just to know that I was able to help and bring joy to people's life for that one night, you know, that, that's one of the ultimate pleasures of being an
0: athlete.
2: And I've told these guys too, like, you know, the country of Canada, the city of Toronto, for so many years showed us so much love. Like you said, the crowds weren't very big, but you could still tell the, the love was genuinely there from, from from day one, you know, and a lot of people always rooted, rooted us on. And obviously, you know, I tell these guys, you guys have to, I never experienced a playoff game, but you know, for me, a playoff atmosphere type game was opening day, the times I got to start, and then obviously Canada day. and um you know i can just imagine you know because i i put myself in, in those shoes like i go back and i'm like man opening day that was electric i can and then so then yeah. i think I, I asked edwin one time and he was like bro he's like it's a hundred times louder and i'm like that's crazy like just to think but that that doesn't unho- get any louder.
3: and when we were on that like playing in seattle that was like a home game yeah when we when we came into seattle I'm sure it was like that when you were there too, but it got intensified to the point where we would go out for BP <clears throat> and it's usually like 4.50, 4.45, and the gates open at 5. You could hear people running down the, the concourse and down the steps, all the, all the Blue Jays fans trying to come up to the dugout to get autographs. We would just sit there while we're stretching. We're like, oh, it's about that time, and you could just hear people like, like horses coming from a distance like like it was <laughs> insane. We would, that's, that's 30, 000, cool. we would have thirty we would have thirty thousand fans in Seattle on any given night.
2: Wow. That's I mean you guys were rock stars man and you know and like I said one of the things I wish I would have gotten to experience even if I was hurt just to be in the dugout during those times would have been cool, you know. Um but anyways I know I know you have to go Jose and you know we really appreciate the time. Um, you know, we probably could go for another two hours easily, you know, talking. No, stories. he's
1: coming so, back. He's coming back. I mean, we got to talk Yeah, let's about do this. it again. For yeah, sure. let's do it again.
2: But no, and, and you know, one of the ways we uh, usually close the show is, you know, and everything you've been through, what kind of advice would you give Jose Bautista at 18 years old?
3: Uh you know, I... I'm fortunate to say that I got great advice from a lot of people that kept me on track. The one thing that I would tell me, um, just going by how I used to be at that age was just to be a little bit more, more patient. Not that I ever gave up on stuff, but you know, I think you experienced it firsthand how my passion, how my intensity sometimes was, you know, my kryptonite. Um, Just to be a little bit more patient and allow things to happen instead of forcing them to happen with your desires. You know, I think, um, that's something that I could have benefited from, um, and just have a little bit less anxiety, um, that I, I kind of put onto myself because I wanted things so badly that even though I put in the hard work, sometimes I was trying so hard that I made it more difficult.
1: Cool. Hey
2: man, no, we, it's, it's always good to see you, man. And, Really
3: quick, pitcher? Yes or no? Ah, uh, I mean, if somebody lets me, but <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't know where I, what I would, where I'm truly at. I mean, it's I don't, I can't say that I'm going out there training every day to to be a pitcher, you know. Um, so, we'll see, we'll see what the future holds. You never know if I can show up in Winter Ball or somewhere else at some point. Um,
2: yeah, and that's that's a- kind of what we didn't bring up, like you know, the importance of Winter Ball and what it did to you, and hopefully. Oh, yeah. If you can't come back on, we can dedicate a, uh, a segment to that and just kind of talk about, you know, because a lot of guys find success in winter ball and they kind of find themselves there and it's just a different atmosphere. Everything I've heard in Dominican, Venezuela, in Mexico, everyone's like, yeah, these games are intense. Fans want to see you win and it's more, it's more, less fans, but it's more intense and nerve-wracking than a big league game, than a playoff game. And, it's you know, more, hopefully it's we get to that? Time. Time. What's that?
3: I think it's more pressure.
1: <laughs> that's percent uh,
3: Winter ball, there's in a regular season game in Winterball and in 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 um in the MLB, there's more pressure in, in the winter ball. Now playoffs, you know, the stakes yeah. the stakes are pretty high on both. But on a regular season game, there's more pressure in winter ball.
1: Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> what Rowdy Tellers told us last week like Winterball in Dominican. Fuera, you don't do it. Jose Bautista, oh, yeah. Ricky had told me there's uh, many layers to you and definitely is. Definitely want to have you back because we can do two, three, four hours with you, Just uh, maybe just on the Dominican and on math and alone. And uh, I know you got to run and just let you know, people have been watching this live, a lot of comments from the fans uh, coming strong for you, Jose. You are loved uh, by the Toronto fans. And uh, even uh, Toronto fans in the UK have been tweeting about it. Appreciate their support. One last word that you have for the Toronto fans, Jose. Uh,
3: Nothing. I mean, I try to to make sure I made those comments. The fan base truly helped us out um, throughout my whole career in Toronto. And I feel very loved when I go back every single time. And the feeling is mutual. Uh, I appreciate everything that I've always gotten. But that playoff run was unbelievable. One thing that Ricky can attest to is how much he knew people cared about the team because how people talked. But I saw how they acted and how they behaved. Once we started winning and it was night and day difference, uh, seeing the proof firsthand instead of just hearing people talk about it. So, um, but they love the blue Jays and I know they love me and I love them back. So, uh, thanks for all the support and, and thanks for the great comments. All
1: right, Jose. Thank you very much. You can hang up Ricky. You and I, we're going to keep on going. Jose Bautista you, is guys. today's guest on the let's go Ricky podcast. That was cool. Adios, man, Ricky, you weren't kidding. Bueno. You told me we could do a bunch of stuff with him. Uh, we could, and we, look, you and I, we talked before the uh, show about what what angle we're going to take, and he had told us he had a tight out. We even started a little bit earlier, and you and I both said there's no way that an hour is going to be enough for him. And I know most podcasts, we were like, ah, it's too long. We can go Joe Rogan style with him, like three, four hours, because there's so oh, yeah. many different layers to him. Great dude, man, great dude. Now I see why you look like that. Guy. And,
2: and, and, you know, great dude, very, very smart. He knows what he wants, knows what he has to do has to do to achieve a certain goal, whether it was in yeah. school. Like I said, the dude was the home run king for, for a few years and he was hitting the books, you know, and, uh, and he had a goal in mind and he stuck to it. And that's just the way he is, you know, the work ethic and all that stuff. It's, it was special to watch it. Like I said, when you're, when you're in the big leagues and and you're around special players like that and special talent, it's, it's the best because you get to see these guys on a daily basis. You get to see what they do to prepare. success just doesn't happen when you're out on the field no it happens what you do behind closed doors and you know it's a great message for kids a lot of kids want to see success on the field on the field on the field well you have to put in the work everyone puts in work you know whether you know you're you're a journalist you're a guy that you know that that's been through the espns and you know the big fights and all that i've seen your notes it's crazy you know you, you, you the way you prepare to be good you want to be good you want to be better you got to prepare, you got to continue to prepare, prepare, and yeah. it's and it's every day. It's not just like, oh, I prepared today, I'm going to take a day off tomorrow. No, it's I'm going to prepare, 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 because in baseball, it's 162 games. You're facing a different starter every game, and, you know, even if you face them the week before, their stuff changes, their stuff looks flatter, you know, stuff like that happens.
1: Dude, I, like I, I write notes during the podcast, right? These are the notes of like Bautista of what I want to use for like the promo and stuff like that. I got all kinds of stuff of what he was saying for this. And what I, I noticed is the people's reaction on the live stream, like Mary Beth Crutchfield, El Camargo, everybody uh, talking about those moments. The dude, look, Dodger fans will always say, Kirk Gibson's home run, I was so and who here. But if you're an ace fan, you're like, man, forget Kurt Gibson. That home run. Along with Joe Carter's and Edwin's, it wasn't just for the city of Toronto. It was for a freaking country. I can't, like he said it. I can't imagine riding my pinche little scooter in the middle of the streets and going, "I'm the one who caused this." There would have been a two-hour traffic jam because of me. Like that is fucking crazy and cool at the same time, man. Yeah, I I hadn't.
2: I I had forgotten about that story, but (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I'm glad. I'm. I'm glad he brought it up because it's. I'm sure. A lot of people crossed his path on his way home and had no idea that's who he was. Dude. So um, he's like this. So, yeah, and it, it's cool to like like I said, those are the little stories that this podcast yeah. lives for. You know, yeah, everyone sees the success. We wanted to ask him about the bad flip, everyone, but he's probably been asked that question a million times. Yeah. I wanted to know, like that's what I said. Like, I wanted to know what was going dude, what was going in his mind from batter spot or from the on deck circle to the batter's box had he studied him and boom he dissected he him right it. away he's like yeah 90 90 96 fastballs <laughs> he throws a sinker boom as soon as i see a higher arm angle this boom i know i i knew it was a good one like this is the way these guys think and it i think it's really special yep. it's really cool that that we let people into the these guys' heads you know this is what's is going through his head right before he hits the big home run but well, what's going through your head after everything dies down and you gotta go home, oh, I'm riding a scooter with my headphones <laughs> and, and a hoodie, you know. And it's just that—that that to me is like the stories that that this podcast lives for. Like I said, everyone you saw the success, everyone saw the home runs and the TV and the bat flip and the stadium going crazy. But what's going through your head as you're walking into that batter's box?
1: He doesn't remember that, and it's because you're, it's almost like an out-of-body experience, and that's really cool. Right now, I want to take a chance to say happy birthday to Aiden. Garcia, C- Conger, uh, Renee's uh, son, Renee Garcia, who works with Al Q, our good friend Al Quintero. Aiden turns 16 today. He's actually watching right now, plays at San Dimas High School, stud catcher. And I think one of the cool things about this podcast is we have high school kids now that went to the Ricky Memorial baseball camp or a uh, good friend Nate at San Fernando High, Hoyo at Banning. They're watching this and they're hearing from the pros of what it takes to prepare, but at the same time, those moments because Bautista stepped into that box already knowing what was going on. It was the preparation from when he was 18 years old, 20 years old, all that other stuff, it was like, I'm here for this moment, like, you know, you do your yoga, namaste right there. Namaste, because he was just in that moment right there. Like let, I'm, I'm going to tell you, Rick, we are on a groove. We're in a zone. We're vibing right now. The Let's Go Ricky Roll podcast, all kinds of different things come for you. If you notice, we got fancy uh, flyer now. Uh, our good dude, Concrete, hooked us up. So now we got a legit promo. It's not me doing it on my phone, uh, learning how to do that stuff. We have an Instagram account, Let's Go Ricky Roll Instagram. We're blowing things up. Uh, thanks to the people tweeting us, uh the canadian baseball of course account blue jay fans in the uk are watching this uh who else people just coming after us letting us know what's going on uh our good friends in canada uh this well who is this today uh scholar uh scalar i hope i'm saying your name been watching tweeting about us posting us on instagram we just appreciate all the support and the show keeps on growing. next week yeah two episodes for you don't know if, we, we know episodes, who it is
0: we won't,
1: we
2: won't give it away yet but uh you know, uh, big time. One of, big what, time. What,
1: what's that? Big time. One, it, 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 it's just, it's, uh, just let you guys behind the scenes, Is trying to coordinate the schedules, make sure everything's right. And, you know, p- things can change. Next, you know, things can open up uh, a current big leaguer and a retired big leaguer is what we got for next week. So, I mean, one of them, future hall of famer, like guaranteed if it all works yes. out, if not, but the list of people that want to come on the show now, Rick, uh-huh coming strong bro
2: it's it's growing and it's pretty cool like i said for us it's it's, it's just having fun with it and and kind of giving yeah. them the mic and i think that's what makes it special you know and uh we don't like to sit there and talk numbers we've mentioned that a few times um boring it's have fun and like you know they let into these stories of what's going through these guys' heads as they're uh uh as they're getting ready for the biggest moments in their careers and uh yeah, yeah hopefully we stay bit. hot. We continue it on. We got a nice little list now of guys uh, that want to come on or different people that want to come on. So, uh, yeah, man. I mean, I'm I'm pumped.
1: Let's keep it yeah, going. Yeah, it's cool. Like, the nice open done by concrete. The music, Uh Eric Camargo, what's up? Ace of SoCal, what's up? Eugenio Matos, what's up? Of course, our man uh, down at Westside Clothing. Go and check them out. Uh, 15% off. Get you the code. Fifty percent off if you use the code Ricky-Rowe. Ricky-Rowe gets you 15% off at westsidelove.us is the Instagram, westsidelove.us. So if you're in Vancouver, that's the West Side, right? You can hook that up.
2: That is the West Side. And just to confirm, uh, Joey Bass just texted me, and he's like, hey, in all seriousness, count me in for another episode. I want to come back on. So there we go.
1: There it is, Joey Bats, boom. And right, all these guys say, an hour, Rick? I don't know if I have that much time. All of a sudden, let's go, Ricky Rowe. Psh, they know where the bread is buttered. And also, thanks a lot to uh, John McKelvey at, uh, at Pro Angle, hooking us up, taking care of us, getting us there. Uh, Ernesto Alvarez, so make sure you guys listen on iTunes and Spotify, rate, review, on, on what is it? YouTube, subscribe, and let people know what's up, man. I'm telling you, we are grooving, we are vibing, we are going. Let's go, Ricky Rowe. Ricky! I will drop off some crappier kings to you this weekend, and we will Thanks. see you next Tuesday. Thanks for everybody listening for the Let's Go Ricky Roll podcast. Let's go.